One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. You and I are talking to each other. And we've got all these people who are listening to us. Why are they listening? Because they care. Because they are going to make a difference. The people who show up, even if they're not always saying they're totally on board yet or whatever, they fundamentally believe we can make change. We can do it together. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics. We are thrilled to share with you today our interview with Elizabeth Warren, For those of you who don't know, Elizabeth Warren is the United States Senator from Massachusetts, former law professor, former candidate for the Democratic nomination for president, and currently here to share with all of us what she sees as the future for the American economy, why she thinks childcare is an economic issue, and what she sees are the values and priorities of the Biden administration. We are thrilled to have her here with us. And before we share that interview, we just wanted to say 
We shared our sort of instant analysis of the vice presidential debate last night for all patrons. So check that out. We will be with you here on Tuesday with Susan Page, the moderator of that debate with more in-depth analysis. Until then, as always, you can join us on Instagram where we were having a fantastic conversation about why we will both be voting for Joe Biden. Until then, enjoy this conversation with Elizabeth Warren. Well, before we talk with you as a United States senator and someone who's very involved in the Biden campaign, we wanted to talk with you just as an American citizen about COVID-19 and the way the president has handled COVID-19 specifically this week. You know, my mom has been hospitalized for COVID-19. She just got home, is still on supplemental oxygen. We know that you have lost a loved one to COVID-19. And we just wanted to check in with you and ask what you are thinking about as you watch the president assure everyone, no big deal, live your lives. I am really sick to hear this. And the reason is partly for the 210,000 families who've lost someone they love, you know, for people who've lost a, a neighbor or a friend. For the president to treat this as if it was just nothing. <laughs> not nothing to my family and it's not nothing to yours but it's also I think about what this means going forward if we had a president who stood up and said this is really serious anyone is at risk Uh, we try to be really careful here in the White House but the very fact that that he got sick shows how seriously we have to take this. So everybody wear a mask, everybody wash their hands. And if local conditions say you shouldn't go inside restaurants or stores, then please don't do it. That would have been an opportunity to save lives. That would have been an opportunity Mm -hmm. to reduce suffering. But to treat this like no big deal encourages people to do exactly that. Treat it like no big deal. And that means more people are going to get sick and more people are going to die. You know, as we take that, not just his response to COVID-19, but the hostility to free and fair elections, we have the Supreme Court nominee. It really feels like our institutions are buckling under the pressure. And I remember so vividly during the primary with all of your plans, I thought, oh, people don't trust government to do big things and government can't do big things because people don't trust it. And it feels like we're in this defeating cycle. How do we break out of that? How do we break out of this? We don't trust our institutions. And so our institutions can't do really big, awesome things to try to build that trust. Well, it's it's a wonderful question, but do keep in mind, the reason we don't trust government it's not something that just happened on its own. It's not like it's a, mm-hmm. a law of gravity. The reason we don't is because government has increasingly worked really well for the rich and for the powerful and not so much for anybody else. So just to pick an example over the last four years, what has been really the singular legislative accomplishment of having Donald Trump in the White House and a Republican majority in the House and the Senate. Do you remember anybody, anybody? A trillion and a half dollar tax cut that went almost entirely to millionaires and billionaires and giant corporations put our country in a deeper economic hole that our children and our grandchildren are gonna be paying for. 
And what was the other attempted piece of legislation? It was to try to roll back the Affordable Care Act so that tens of millions of people would lose health care coverage and people who had pre-existing conditions would lose protection. So when we talk about people with faith in government, well, yeah, because government is not working for them. And those are just the most recent examples over the past four years. And it's there's been a lot of that now for a long, long time. A government that works mm-hmm. better and better and better for a narrower, smaller, and richer group of folks. So what's the best way you change that? Well, you get in the fight, you elect somebody who sees it and says, I'm willing to get in the fight. And then you hold them accountable. I, I kind of feel like you have the right point at the beginning, and that is the worst government does, the worse is our expectation of government. But the better mm-hmm. it does, the more confidence we can put in it. So, yeah, we got to turn this around, and we've got to put government on the side of the people, and that's true in health care and child care and student loan debt and social security. You know, we we got to turn this around and make it work. And we're just going to have to do it, i got to tell you, just by, by force of will, because otherwise it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to tell you, we're so encouraged. There are so many of our listeners who are getting in the fight, who are paying attention for the first time. We get messaged constantly like, I wasn't paying attention. I am now. They know it's their responsibility to vote. And many, many of them, especially many of the women in our audience, are voting Democratic for the first time. And they're being met with accusations of socialism from friends and family who do not understand why they are voting Democratic for the first time. And can you help us? Can you give us words for how to talk about living in a mixed economy, how to value capitalism, but understanding its limitations, exactly what you were just articulating and where a Biden administration sees that economy going? So I would start, you know, when somebody says, well, it's just socialism, you say, you know, I get it with the name calling. Because that was exactly what the Republican opponent said when Social Security was passed. In fact, you notice the name of it, and it's called Social Security. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans said, no, terrible, awful. It's socialism. No, it's how we all pitch in a few nickels and say over time that when, when it comes time for us to retire, all of us are going to have some basic protection and some income, and we're going to be able to retire with dignity. And then when the fights in the 60s came around over Medicare, once again, the Republicans rolled out that same line. They said, Medicare, that's terrible. It's socialism. And nonetheless, Democrats pushed it on through. And there are millions of people today who are alive because of Medicare, and millions more who don't have to worry about being a burden on their children uh, because they might get sick and then have these huge medical bills. Um, Medicare has made us a stronger, healthier country. So all we're talking about are the decisions we make as a nation. Do we want to take better care of our children? That's what childcare and pre-K is all about. Do we want to help young people who are trying to get a start in life? And that's what 
canceling student loan debt and and access to technical school and two-year college and four-year college is all about. Do we want to make a, an investment in expanding housing the way the government did back in the 1950s and 60s? Do we want to make that investment so more people have a chance to buy a home and build up their American dream? So I think you first kind of have to inoculate against the word socialism and then mm-hmm. just take it to the specifics because ultimately you're not voting so much for an idea. You're voting for the things you want to see changed and what that will say about us as a people. It's about a moral question. Do we take care of each other or not? Do we try to find some basic fairness in this system, create some basic fairness in this system or not? Senator, I want to ask you about another word that gets rolled out by the Republican Party, though we've not seen much of it practiced by the Republican Party over the last four years, and that's federalism. Mm -hmm. A component of your plans that I have really come to admire is this balancing between a very big vision for the federal government, but also an interest in deploying that federal power community by community in ways that make sense. I'm thinking specifically about your healthcare plans and your plans to combat addiction and how much you focused on communities. And I just wondered if you could talk with us about how Democrats think about federalism. So I think of it this way. When it comes to big problems we've got to tackle, like the problems of addiction around this country, the best way to do this is to say, as Americans, we're all in the boat. We're all in this boat together. And the way to we identify that is we say we all pitch in taxes. And that's true whether you live in Iowa or Kentucky or Massachusetts or California. Those are our federal taxes. And then together, we say we want this money to go to the place where we can most effectively deal with the problems as they exist. So let's follow the problem. If there's a problem in local communities in Kentucky or in Massachusetts or in California, then let's get the money into that community. Now, we have a right to ask if we're going to pitch in our tax dollars that you show that it's being used effectively, that you you collect data on it to make sure that's the case. But if that's the case, we want to invest and help all of our people. And so I think of federalism that way. The federal government can put the resources out there, can identify the kind of program it goes to, but it's locally where you understand the best and most effective response. I'll give you two quick examples to that. Up in northern New Hampshire, I was visiting a rehab center that was residential, and you know what their biggest need was? It was for transportation. There comes a point in people's Mm. rehabilitation when they need to be getting out and taking on a job, but they still need to come back at night and be in a, a more controlled environment. But in order to do that, when you're living in a remote area, you got to have wheels. You gotta, that's So mm-hmm. when you think about how do I support a program that shows that it's successful, how about we put that money in and they decide, you know, the way we want to use it, we want to buy two vans for our centers so we can you know, drop people off in the morning and pick them up in the evenings. 
By comparison, you think about what happens, for example, with the tribal nations out west. Mm. I've visited tribal nations where they say, I appreciate that you're talking a lot about heroin and how we deal with heroin and fentanyl. But we have a different kind of drug problem here. We're dealing methamphetamines. And, you know, some of the treatment is different and some of the ways we want to attack it is different. We have different cultural traditions, different history, different resources available to us. Well, my view is federal government says you've got a problem that fits within this area we're talking about generally. You're putting together a program. Show us the numbers. You've got to collect the information here and show it really works. As a nation, we'll help invest in that. That seems to me to be both the most effective way to do it and, frankly, the way that feels morally right to me. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. 
So we have a lot of women in our audience with young children. And I'm telling you that to tell you, we have a lot of women in our audience that are huge fans of your Aunt B. Uh. <laughs> Even because they have their own Aunt B or they desperately wish they had an Aunt B. And I think, you know, with I've been saying COVID is just shaking everything loose. And we're seeing that in particular with the issues of childcare and, you know, women dropping out of the workforce to either deal with childcare or homeschooling. And it, it feels like for the first time, people are waking up and realizing that childcare is an economic issue. Um, yes. And that we have a real crisis on our hands. So that we have a real crisis on our hands. Can you talk about that as somebody who's had their eye on that issue for a long time? Yep. So look, I think of this, there are so many ways to approach this, but the number one way is to say childcare is not just an issue for mamas. It is an issue mm -hmm. for everybody, everybody. We all have an interest in having a childcare system that works. That will be good for our mamas and good for the daddies. It will also be good for the babies mm -hmm. and it will be good for the childcare workers. But let me make a pitch to you that might be useful here. It's to think about productivity, right? That's what economists mm -hmm. love to talk about. How do you build a more productive nation? And the number one thing that economists talk about when they do this, they say, oh, more machines. So we put all kinds of tax breaks in the federal tax code to say, if you go out and buy a machine, we say this to businesses, uh, we're going to, we're going to help supplement that. You know, we're going to subsidize it as a country. Mm. So why? Because we want them to do that and be more productive. We also invest collectively in infrastructure, roads and bridges and uh, mass transit mm -hmm. and bus systems. Why? So people can get to work. So we can be a more productive country. So here's the interesting thing. You watch GDP in this country go up, and you watch it go up in the 1980s, the 1990s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. Do you know what the principal reason was? One of the principal reasons? Mamas Women in the with workforce. little children yeah. went into the workforce, right? And mm -hmm. so GDP goes up in this country. Now, when... We were first doing it, and of course, that's when I went into the workforce, when I'm a, a young mom. Basically, we just said to moms, you're on your own. Good luck to you. Mm. We got out there. We did the best we could. And of course, the point is, a lot of folks couldn't make it or didn't make it or didn't try because it was so darn hard around childcare. So what happens is by the time we hit the 2000s, it just levels out. So many young families just say, we can't handle this, or mom has to take a less demanding job or a part-time job in order to hold the pieces together. So here's my pitch. We want to have a more productive nation. And in the same way that we invest in roads and bridges, the same way we invest in machines so that we can be more productive, we need to invest in childcare. Whether you have babies mm -hmm. or not, you want to see our country prosper? That's good for you individually. You mm -hmm. want to see our country prosper? Then invest in childcare. And I have to tell you, I think about my Aunt B. I wouldn't be here talking to you on the phone today if I hadn't had an Aunt B. I would have been knocked off the track entirely. I was ready to quit my job. And who knows? Maybe years later, I could have gotten back on the track. Maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. 
But I think of it this way. It was so hard when I was only the second woman hired at the university when, you know, nobody had ever seen a woman teaching classes in this. For the pioneers, it was so hard. And today, I think it's even harder. And that's the wrong direction for our nation. Our children are precious to us. They are an important resource. And even when there's a stay-at-home parent, we understand there's a lot of value for children to be able to go to preschool, Mm -hmm. to be able to go to play groups, to have those facilities open. We used to think that, you know, as a a nation, I mean, kind of collectively, everybody thought, yeah, kids under five don't learn anything anyway. Now we've learned that's not Mm. so. We talk childcare. We're also talking early learning experiences and opportunities for those babies. We need well-trained, well-paid childcare workers and families cannot and should not be asked to bear that burden alone. So I think just like you do, this is our moment. We've got this chance. Mm-hmm. It's it's risen to the top. It's why when when I spoke at the Democratic National Convention, I spent my time on child care. I think it's the first time anybody ever mm-hmm. spoke on either party at a national convention and made the central issue around child care. I think we've got this chance to push child care to the top of the agenda. And I want to say, and Joe Biden is right there with us on this one. So let's make this happen. It will be transformative for today's mamas, but also Mm -hmm. for our children when they're mamas and daddies and for our grandchildren, we could make a difference that will just echo through the years and we could do it now. 2021 is our year for this. Well, and can I just as a follow-up say thank you for that because, you know, and I don't know if anybody in your team told you this. I cry on our podcast a lot, so don't become alarmed if I start to tear up right now. But, you know, I think there's a generational conflict. And I think a lot of women my age feel from women that went through it in the 70s and 80s and 90s, this narrative of like, well, we did it. You should be able to figure it out, too. And so to see somebody like you. I know. And it's really hurtful, I think. I think it's really hurtful. Mm -hmm. And so to see you stand up there and say, it doesn't affect me. And I had to make all this stuff happen. But you shouldn't have to go through that. You shouldn't have to do what I did is so incredibly powerful to women who have little kids who are of this generation now. And so I don't know if I have a question except just to say thank you, because I do think there is some generational conflict and sort of hurt feelings for a better phrase. It's so sweet of you to say that. But this is something that really troubles me in our nation right now. The idea that somehow, if I'm not going to cash in on it, you know, I'm not going to be taking my child to childcare because my children are grown and have their own children now, that somehow I shouldn't support it, that I don't have mm-hmm. any, any obligation or any interest in the rest of us. And that just has mm-hmm. to be fundamentally wrong. That's not how we build a strong country. And it can't be the kind of people... We want to be. I watch today young mamas out there who are just who are trying to hold it all together. I get on Zoom calls with, oh my God, with young women who 
who've run for public office and now here they are in the state legislature and they're trying to bounce a baby on the knee and keep mm-hmm. a toddler's pants up while, you know, while uh, <laughs> he's running around behind him. I, I, and I feel like we all try to be open and we laugh about it and try to create the kind of environment where that's okay. But at the end of the day, to me, it just, says how we are failing as a nation. If we truly believe in the future, then we have to believe in our children. And if we truly want to invest in that future, we have to invest in the people who are raising those children. And that means we have to invest in the mamas and the daddies. And the way we do that is we invest in childcare. And look, I'll do both halves. We also should be investing in elder care. Taking care of seniors, this is a serious, serious issue and a and problem that gets more acute every year. Uh, and taking care mm-hmm. of people with Alzheimer's and with dementia, with long-term medical needs, this is what we have to do as a nation, the caring economy. We've got to take care of each other. And that means take care of the little ones, take care of the the old ones, and for the folks in between, make it easier for them to work and produce a lot and work in lots of different ways. Some will stay home and stay with their families, and you know, good for them if that's how they want to do it. It can make it work for their families. But by golly, the structures ought to be set up that we are taking care of both of those who are in most need and the people who take care of them. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Senator, I think what you just said about being concerned about this mindset that I I don't want to contribute to something unless I directly and immediately benefit from it reflects kind of our failure to have a sense of what shared American prosperity can look like. And in my conversations with people in my life who are resistant to voting for Democrats, what I hear is that kind of zero-sum sensibility that Democrats, when they talk about policies that are inclusive toward people of all races, inclusive of people with disabilities, inclusive of immigrants, what they hear instead of I want to include everybody to get us to a shared prosperity is I want to take from you. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could talk about why inclusive policies benefit the economy and how we can can have more of a sense of shared prosperity. You have it exactly right. The more inclusive we are, the more prosperity we could build. So, for example, just think about it this way. We're in the 21st century. It's a knowledge-based economy, right? A hundred years ago, you could really make it if you had a good, strong back, right, and could list a lot of things. Well, today, there's just a diminishing number of jobs for which that's going to be the key thing. Mostly, you've got to know a lot of stuff. And that's true in all kinds of jobs. Look at the things now that people study who are, who are electricians and welders, the trades, for example. God, how much science they need to know and engineering and all kinds of new tech and safety procedures. There's, just, there's not an area where you can escape the importance of knowledge. So, okay, think of it this way. As a nation, how do you make us more prosperous going forward? You say, well, I'll tell you what. I really want to invest in brains. I want to invest in smarts. And that means I want to invest in the kids. And it starts when they're little. I want little babies to have bigger vocabularies and to have seen more things. I want kids in K-12 
to have seen lots of the world and learned not just reading and writing. I want them to know a lot of math and science, and I want them to know about computers. I want them to know about the world. I want them to speak more than one language. I want to see all of those things, and I want to see every kid who's willing to get out there and work for it. I want to see them get a technical degree, a two-year college degree, a four-year college degree, because if as a group we are smarter and more engaged and have more training and have more understanding of the world, then we can produce for ourselves and for the rest of the world. That will make us a more prosperous nation. That will protect our democracy. That will make us strong around the world. But to do that, you got to start early and you got to be willing to take some of what you have now and put a little of those taxes into supporting those kids. Mm -hmm. And let me say another part. It's not always that you need to pay more taxes. It's that you need to be willing to stand up. We need to be willing to stand up to the giant corporations that don't pay any. So last year, Amazon made 11, it's unbelievable, billion dollars in profits. You know how much they paid in taxes? Mm. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. So you're paying Mm. to try to keep things going, but not Amazon. And that's true. There are companies in the Fortune 500, one after another after another, that paid nothing, that paid $100, that paid, you know, that just didn't pay a fair share. And when they don't pay it, it falls to you to have to pay it. You're the one who has to keep the roads paved and, and, and the, you know, the military uh, fed and, uh, and the bridges safe. So the way I think about this, it's not even that you necessarily have to reach into your own pocket. It's that you have to be willing to put some political muscle behind saying, I want to be in America that doesn't prioritize Amazon's profits and uh, kowtow to the, to the campaign contributors and lobbyists that get out there on behalf of Amazon. I want to be in America that says everybody pays a fair share, meaning those giant corporations, meaning those billionaires. And then we take a chunk of that money and invest so every kid gets an opportunity. Can I give you one more on taxes? Because it's so interesting to me. I, I mentioned the big corporations, but let me mention for one second, rich folks. So mm. the 99% paid in taxes last year, about 7.2% of their total wealth. Think about that. Okay. 7.2% in a year, just everything all in. Do you know what the top one-tenth of 1% paid? 3.2%, less than half. So this idea of zero sum, somebody's been fooling you, and it's probably been rich people or giant corporations. This isn't zero sum. It's investments that build a future paid for by asking the folks at the top just to pitch in a little more. We could do this. Mm-hmm. We could totally do this. 
So, Senator, I don't feel like you engage in a lot of doom scrolling like the rest of us. I don't know how that is, but I just don't see you late at night scrolling through Twitter. How do you keep so hopeful? Because it doesn't ever feel like an empty positivity to me. I always say, like, you start talking, and I feel like an adult's taking the wheel and we're going to get there safely after all. How do you do it? Can you give advice to the rest of us who maybe engage in doom scrolling from time to time? You know, so the first way I do it is I always look at the underlying piece of what's happening. You and I are talking to each other, and we've got all these people who are listening to us. Why are they listening? Because they care. Because they are going to make a difference. You know, every time I get to give a speech or I go out and talk to folks or on a Zoom call now, I'm always reminded the people who show up, even if they're not always saying they're totally on board yet or whatever, they fundamentally believe we can make change. We can do it together. And it's there. You have so much power. And everybody listening to this has so much power. We put your cup of power and my cup of power together. If it's Sarah and Beth and Elizabeth and all the folks on this call, you know what? We get childcare done. And if we get just mm. childcare done, the whole world looks different. But why stop there? We get changes in Social Security. We can do that, too. And in higher ed, and we can do that, too. I just feel it out there. I know what we can do, and I know how many people. It's right where you started this, this podcast. You started by saying there are so many people who said, I didn't used to be involved, but now I realize how important mm-hmm. this is. Boy, are you kidding? I hear that kind of thing, and... I'm I'm in. I'm ready to get this done. Yeah, I was going to say I love Sarah and Beth and Elizabeth. We can do that any <laughs> any time, any time at all. Love the sound Let's of it. Let's do it. Let's do Thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so generous with your time and for all of your service and for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, and thank you. And thank you for being out there with all of these folks to remind everybody what we can do. And a big part of that is going to be that we're going to get out there and we're going to vote. And we're going to get our neighbors and friends and family and cranky uncles and everybody to vote (laughs) on November 3rd. And then we're all going to have a party for a day. And then we're going to say right back to work because we're going to hold all those people we elected accountable to make the changes Mm -hmm. that reflect our best values and let us build a strong America. Our eternal gratitude to Senator Warren for joining us here at Pantsuit Politics. Until next week, love your people. Go outside, take some deep breaths. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. David McWilliams. Allie Edwards. Martha Brunitsky. Amy Whited. Janice Elliott. Sarah Ralph. Barry Kaufman. Jeremy Sequoia. Lori Ladau. Emily Neasley. Allison Luzader. Tracy Putoff. Julie Haller. Jared Minson. Marnie Johansson. Sherry Blem, Tiffany Hasler, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Linda Daniel, Joshua Allen, and Tim Miller.
To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram.